My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of this programme will know, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And today, that mission takes us back to a company who we've had featuring on the programme before in the form of Echelon Health. And we're here with the new CEO of the company, Ahmed El-Barkouki. Ahmed, very warm welcome to yourself. And by all means, thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you very much, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a real pleasure having you alongside us as well. Um, now, Echelon Health is the world's leading provider of medical assessments and is capable of detecting up to 95% of early disease before, of course, it can become problematic. And you have taken up the CEO role at the business this year. And your responsibility, of course, is for enhancing client experience through the integration of luxury elements that will then contribute to ensuring that the journey through Echelon Health is totally seamless for clientele. Um, firstly, Ahmed, um, what was it that sort of made you feel that this was the uh, the right the, the right role for you in this next step of your career? Um, I think uh, I think the vision behind it. I mean, um, it is we, we, we are a, a relatively small company. Uh, I think the vision behind it um, to create a product that is um, unparalleled currently. Um, as we make the claim essentially in the whole world and be able to offer that level of assurance and uh, comfort um, to our clients and also potentially help save lives. Uh, I mean, I thought when I met the shareholders and, and our chairman, I thought there is a true belief in the value behind what we offer. Mm. And it was an opportunity for me to take a relatively young company and see how far we can take it in terms of advancement both uh, you know on the top line revenue side and profitability but more importantly on the product and how can we keep refining it um, and take it to potentially uh, unparalleled level and you of course have a proven track record in the world of sales and marketing and also a deep understanding of the luxury market and that experience comes from working at some of London's most iconic hotels and groups, including sort of Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts, the Savoy, Claridge's, to name her, but a few there. Um, do you feel that that experience is valuable to sort of to bring into your new position and that ultimately is going to help you take the company forward? Absolutely. I mean, um, from my time at the uh, Cromwell Hospital as well, that's something mm. that I was very keen on. I think we... Within the healthcare industry, people really are constantly trying to deliver the best uh, clinical care possible. Um, I think there is a need for a focus um, on the emotional and the um, mental side of the experience. Any visit to, whether it's to a doctor or to a clinic or to a hospital, carries a lot of emotional stress to it. Um, and so there, there should be an equal focus, I think, on um, helping alleviate some of that. And sometimes the, the average person, let's say, gets hospitalized once every seven years. And in between, they would visit uh, clinics or see their GPs. They have no point of reference as to what sort of quality of clinical care they're getting. They, they you know, kind of leave that to the clinicians and they trust the clinicians. So what they tend to judge the experience on is things they're familiar with. So the sense of arrival, the welcome, the smile of the team, the bedside manners. Um, you 
know, the sense of cleanliness, uh, the, the small comfort that they have, either like a hot water bottle or a blanket, all of these elements create a potential uh, client that is comfortable, that is uh, confident, that is entering the experience uh, with a complete sense of relaxation. And then we can focus on delivering the ultimate um, clinical service that we can. So, yes, the, the, uh, the luxury element or the attention to the um, additional elements of service, the non-clinical side, is paramount. And we've seen it you know, over and over with, with our clients and the feedback they give us. Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of bringing that kind of the luxury side of it, but also the experience of how the healthcare industry works into that uh, that position, isn't it? Um, obviously, um, here at the Leaders' Council as well, Ahmed, uh, we do talk an awful lot about sort of leadership more broadly. So sort of going into your role, having spent a lot of time in uh, positions of leadership, how today would you describe your own personal leadership style? Uh, that's, that's a good question. Um, I don't necessarily uh, subscribe to a particular uh, leadership style. I think that would be adopted to kind of the, the, the type of company you're joining, uh, the type of team you're working with. So I think it takes different forms with different stages in a company's life cycle. So um, it's important to be able to identify that as a leader and act accordingly. I think a company that is still uh, earlier on in the journey will rely on your ability to be a strong leader through constant change, pivoting, evolving, uh, that you can achieve that exponential growth that's required for a, a new company uh, while keeping your team engaged and motivated and not necessarily disoriented with the pace um, that, that is taking place in the company. A more mature, stable company will, will require a sense uh, or more drive for innovation and disruption, new ideas, um, and also building consensus from a potentially uh, strong and well-established team to kind of look towards that consistent growth and avoid the stagnation that maybe can take place in large organizations. Um, in both scenarios, it all needs to be underpinned by kind of a strong set of values and a strategy, but more importantly, a clear and well-articulated set of expectations um, and, and deliverables. On the, um, on the human side of things, um, I think it's a kind of important for me to understand that I'm not always right <laughs> and mm. even if I am it's not the most important thing necessarily to, to move the company forward uh, you don't have all the answers uh, as a leader and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very important that you reconcile that uh, and, and also if you've, you've done a good job hiring a strong teams then you hopefully hire the team that bridges the skill gap uh, within your own skills so if you approach it from that perspective, uh, you will you have no other option but to listen to your team and be more inclusive in your uh, decision making uh, in general. It's you know we always say uh, communication is a two way street, but mm. how often do we as leaders are on the receiving end of that communication from our team? So one thing I, I try to do a lot is um, within our one to one uh, with various colleagues that I would always ask if they can if they think I can improve on something or if there's something that happened this week particularly that they think I could have handled it better and that, that kind of keeps you grounded um, as a leader I think 
Yeah, I think that's very right, isn't it? That sort of authenticity as well, showing your vulnerability as a leader, making it clear that you don't have all of the answers. And then also that kind of transition to sort of a more inclusive form of leadership. It is very clear that sort of times are changing from that kind of traditional, more draconian, perhaps command and control style to that more inclusive one. And um, I suppose there's also a balancing act to be had there, isn't there? That when you sort of adopt a more inclusive leadership style, how do you then go about sort of asserting authority within that framework as and when you need to? Um, I think, I think, I don't know if asserting authority is, um, uh, is, uh, is the term that would, that, you know, that I can adopt or it would mm. apply to me. I, I think one doesn't necessarily just assert authority. I think you, you earn respect from your team. Mm. Through demonstrating to them that um, you have the right skill set, you have a vision, and you have the ability to drive the company forward. I think authority comes once respect has been earned. So that that's more of my approach. I, I know that you know in very fast-paced environments, sometimes there is uh, that that you don't have that luxury. Uh, and it's just on you then, partially on you as a leader, to establish that trust very quickly. Yeah, I suppose having established that trust as well and earned that respect from your colleagues, it makes it easier, doesn't it, for them to sort of trust you and also kind of give their all when it comes to crisis situations and also the face of a major challenge as well. And I think we've sort of seen that sort of plainly demonstrated by the COVID-19 pandemic, haven't we? Whereas where there has been that framework within businesses, companies tend to be sort of more successful. Um, how do you sort of personally go about kind of maintaining morale, both of your colleagues and also that of your own within a crisis situation like COVID? Um, well, I think it, it was very important for us to stay connected. I mean, some of the team members had to be in, in the clinic, obviously, because we stayed open as a healthcare organization for most of the pandemic. So communication and speaking with each other uh, on a daily basis um, is easier uh, when you have a smaller team, and, and you know, I appreciate that. But I think we need to have a concerted effort to speak and share ideas and have discussions to keep those communication lines open. Uh, it comes a bit naturally also when you're in a highly operational service industry like healthcare, mm. uh, because you have clients in every day. And when you have clients, you will discuss their pre-arrival. You will discuss the experience. You will discuss what can be improved. Um, in addition, we also had our social events and gathering as and when possible. Um, I, it's something I touched on is the one-to-one meeting. And I think the one-to-one, in addition to the collective weekly meetings, you need to have the one-to-one meetings because we, 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 well, at least your core team, because this is the one-to-one meetings are more about them than it is about um, the business necessarily. Um, so your job would be to resolve any obstacles that they have, things that maybe they don't want to share uh, in, the, in the larger meetings. Um, and it's your job then as a leader to try to alleviate uh, those concerns or those obstacles so that people are motivated and, and working happily. Um, it's also an opportunity for me to listen rather than speak and do a um, mental well-being check as well to see how mm-hmm. everyone uh, is doing. 
I think people, uh, yes, they have a work life, but everything is impacted by personal life. So um, understanding uh, what's going on in their personal lives as well is, is very important if they want to share. It is, and certainly post-pandemic, we are now far more acutely aware about mental health and the stigma of talking about it is really starting to dissipate, especially sort of around the workplace. Um, How important, therefore, is it that we actually sort of safeguard mental health, including that of our colleagues, of course, but also that of our own as leaders? Because it is lonely at the top, isn't it? Especially when you're in a crisis situation and people are looking to you for answers like that. Yes, I agree. Uh, it's maybe a little bit lonely, um, but it, it's yeah, uh, it's important to acknowledge that there is stress with every uh, job, and there is a stress that uh, with every level within the organisation as well. Uh, you might be, um, you might have more responsibility, and so that comes with more uh, stress, perhaps. But the recognition that every job carries a certain level of, of stress. Um, I mean. For me personally, I've had my fair share throughout my career. I moved countries, I changed industries, I was laid off. Um, but I think as you kind of build those experiences, you realize uh, that things are eventually more or less going to end up being okay. So uh, I think we tend to pre-suffer. Um, if you know you have something happening next week or two weeks from now, you start to build up the anxiety. It takes a lot of mental training perhaps to learn not to pre-suffer because in most situations we go through these challenges that we're anticipating and we come out on the other side um, fine. So uh, pre-suffering is something I, I learned to kind of control. Um, I don't necessarily get it right every time, so get it wrong now a little bit in terms of uh, managing stress levels. I think the most important um, thing is to know that whatever the stressful situation is, it's not going to last forever, that's number one but also to recognize that there is a certain level of healthy stress that keeps us performing at our peak. But then there's, if, if, if you keep living through or pushing through that stress, you then start to enter uh, a damaging stage. And so you need to focus on your non-negotiables. And that's something I learned uh, from you know a lot of great, bosses that I had through my career and leaders that you need to have your non-negotiables. What are the three, four things that you will do religiously every single week that keeps you balanced and helps reduce that stress level? Whether it's talking to family, talking to friends, um, cycling, walking your dog every day, twice a day, um, engaging in conversation, sharing information with your partner and getting feedback because it's, it's sometimes difficult for us when we're in the middle of that situation to really gauge where we are. We might think we're fine, and by just sharing, uh, our friends and family, uh, our partners will tell us, no, this seems like too much. So, it's, yeah, uh, focus on your non-negotiables. Uh, try not to pre-suffer, and um, hopefully everything will turn out to be okay. Yeah, and what you've just sort of said there, Ahmed, it really sort of tells me as well that we're constantly in a process of actually learning more, aren't we? Learning more about ourselves, about our staff, about our businesses. It's a constant state of flux. It never really stops. And um, do you feel that your sort of biggest learning experiences come from that hands-on experience? Say you're in the middle of a difficult situation and you're sort of learning from dealing with that. 
or do you feel that you've learned more from sort of sitting down with people communicating and then sort of like for instance you just said they're talking about non-negotiables and that's something that sort of sticks with you what do you sort of feel you learn kind of you take the most from i think it's a it's a mixture of both i think um i've had i work with great leaders who were insightful enough to instigate the conversation based on an observation and that you know um, that kind of insight um is very important uh but you also learn through experiences uh, and then kind of gives you an idea of how far you can stretch yourself while maintaining that potentially healthy level of uh, of tension. Let's not call it stress. So both experiences, both people notice and ask to speak, and I do the same uh, as well. Um, but also, you know, leaders knowing when to stop and say, I need to share this with someone. So it's it, you mm. kind of as a leader, you have both roles to play. You need to spot it within your team and address it and invite a conversation. Uh, you need to also spot it in yourself and do the same thing. I think that's very, very right. And um, it just goes to show, doesn't it, just that when you sort of are faced with a crisis situation, say, for example, like the last couple of years that we faced, you need leaders who are going to essentially just kind of put their foot on the ball in that situation and kind of take control of it. And how important overall in any in the face of any kind of challenge in any time of change do you feel that sort of robust leadership, a calm head is in those situations? It's it's critical, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we, we saw it, I think, a little bit with, with our clients as well. I mean, I think the pandemic, we focused everyone's attention to what what their priorities are in terms of life and family and friends and most importantly health and well-being both physically and mentally um, and this perhaps led us to prioritize those things um, and particularly our health and search for solutions for prevention and early detection the more we learn the more we're able to deal with with various situations uh, we know there's a strong immune system that's disease-free has a good fighting chance against viruses and, and ailments in general and so our clients, for example, want to have that baseline of their current health and understand where to go from there, whether it's in terms of treatment, if something is found, or in terms of prevention, if they are well and healthy. Uh, the emotional impact, I think, um, unfortunately, was, has been slightly underestimated uh, during the pandemic. Um, and, and we see it sometimes with our clients. Someone who's constantly concerned about their health is someone who's in, in constant stress. Uh, they can sometimes be crippling. I even saw it with, with leaders who kept pushing through their stress year after year after year and ended up, uh, you know, potentially unable to leave their house. Um, and so with health now being priority, both physical and, and mental, um, we need organizations uh, to, to, to work on that collectively. We need... Um, more providers in the market. We need people to try to offer, offer a, a holistic approach that looks after the physical, the mental, and the emotional as well. And that's kind of what we're trying to achieve here with Echelon Health. Yeah, and uh, when I actually interviewed uh, the founder of the uh, the company, Paul Jenkins, on the uh, the show some uh, some weeks ago uh, now, um, he did mention that it's very exciting times for the business just because you know people's priorities are changing they are becoming more aware of their health and they're wanting to make sure that they're healthy and 
Therefore, of course, those early checks, those preventative sort of measures, I mean, that's becoming more and more important for people and more and more of um, sort of, you know, an attractive thing. And um, it's obviously going to be this next 12 months, your first year with the business. And sort of in those exciting times, um, just before we wrap things up on the program today, Ahmed, um, what are you really hoping to sort of achieve at your uh, during your first year at the helm? Where would you sort of like to see Echelon Health perhaps 12 months from now? I mean, um, I'm lucky to be working with with, with a fantastic team, uh, and we're aligned on our vision. Uh, we need to provide one of the best holistic health assessment and prevention products in the world, and that is not an easy uh, <laughs> undertaking. Uh, we constantly benchmark ourselves, not just with the top providers in the country, but top providers globally as well, including the U.S., so, for me, the first year is about um, sort of kind of enhancing our offering, um, having four or five solid products that really add value to our clients, both on the clinical and the non-clinical side. Uh, obviously, um, the company is, is, is doing great uh, in terms of revenue. We've seen three-digit growth versus uh, 2019, which is fantastic. Mm. Uh, also, uh, we are looking at our governance and compliance structure, which is already in place, but you can never be too robust about these things. Um, so it's really divided into segments and approach every segment independently, try to improve and enhance it, and then collectively drive the company forward. But it's the, the most important thing for us is that how can we serve our clients better? Uh, when you were, when you look for perfection, you understand it's impossible, but you at least it gives you a consistent drive to improve, and that's what we're kind of establishing with Echelon. Um, I'll give you an example. We we um, we realized that uh, at some point at the end of the pandemic, our clients did not want to uh, go on public transportation. When we analyzed the demographics, our clients came from all over the country, uh, not just London or uh, or, uh, or just outside the, the M25. It was literally from all over the country. But a lot of them were concerned about their health. They wanted to get health assessment, but they didn't want to take the journey. Um, and so we introduced a new product that includes a chauffeur-driven car that picks up the clients from their home, brings them here, um, they come and have their health assessment. Um, and when we say health assessment, it's, it's a heavy day. You have, you know, you go through blood, uh, full body mold check, ultrasound, CT, MRI. So it is exhausting. We thought, well, okay, well, what if we offer an overnight stay in a hotel as well? So you get picked up, you come to your assessment, spend the night in a fantastic hotel. You can relax, you can eat because you've done fasting beforehand. Uh, you can enjoy maybe a spa treatment, relax. So in our attempt to solve our client's problems, uh, we actually managed to tackle their emotional uh, state as well of being stressed about the whole experience. So I think that went down very well with our clients, and um, it's, it's something that they consistently now ask for now that they know it exists. 
It's fantastic, isn't it? Just how you're sort of innovating um, in that sense and in an industry where which 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 commands constant innovation. I mean, it's really exciting that real limitless potential that Echelon Health has and. Uh, I think over certainly the uh, the course of the uh, the next 12 months and beyond, um, when we start to see kind of the trajectory of the company, I'd certainly love the opportunity out there perhaps to welcome you back onto the show just to see sort of how that vision is being realised because it seems like a really exciting times for, uh, for Echelon and uh, looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. Thank you so much, Scott. I mean, it would be a pleasure. We're very proud of what we have and um, hopefully we'll keep improving. Absolutely so, and um, by all means, um, Ahmed, just before we uh, we depart, please do take care and stay safe with all still going on in the world as well. Thank you so much, Scott. An engaging experience that was indeed welcoming Ahmed El-Barkuki, the new CEO of Echelon Health, onto today's programme, and I do hope that everybody tuning in thoroughly enjoyed the interview today. Um, just to remind you all, if you are listening into the programme and you do happen to own your own business or run your own organisation with its own tale of success and innovation to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, then by all means, we want to hear from you too. So why not also apply to be on the programme via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, to all of our listeners, you've been listening to the Leaders' Council podcast with your host, Scott Chaloner. Do take care and goodbye.